Last week, Steve gave an incredible message uh, about how Jesus is the high priest, the best high priest. And, and one little uh, bonus in there, um, he, he gave probably one of the most amazing summations of the, the role of the Trinity that, I, that I've heard yet. And he, he gave it with passion. So um, if you have not heard that message, go check it out online. It's part of our series um, as we go through the book of Hebrews called Jesus is Better. And uh, it's, it's been a really awesome series so far. Hebrews is deep. And, uh, and a lot of churches, I think, shy away from that. Not the edge. We're going after it. Um, ironically enough, though, Neil is preaching today, and he's not preaching from Hebrews. Uh, he's, he's taking a little, little vacation from that um, as he just got back from vacation. And, uh, and he's going to preach a message on how Jesus is love. And I, I think God's going to do something incredible in this morning. So uh, would you join with me in welcoming to the stage Neil Shorey. Um, it is good to be back here uh, this morning. As Corey said, uh, we were, my family went on a trip to Lake Tahoe. I'd never been to Northern California before. Um, it was uh, amazing and absolutely incredible. Uh, I've always loved Southern California. Now I think I actually love Northern California more. Um, it was beautiful. The, the weather was like nothing I've ever experienced before. I mean, genuinely, it was warm during the day with no humidity. I used to make fun of people that said things like, well, it's 120 in Phoenix, but there's no humidity. And I'd just be like, 120 is 120, right? I'm telling you, it is different. It was 90 degrees in the day, but no one has air conditioners in the area. You don't need them. It's not hot in your house. How did they do this? Now, they deal with horrible things like forest fires, right? All these fires. It's horrible. We need to be praying for them. Uh, but they need to pray for us with tornadoes too, yeah. right? No one likes tornadoes either. It's all bad. All these things are bad. So there's always a positive and a negative about living where you live. But I think I could go to Tahoe. Anybody want to join me? It was something else. Uh, incredible time. I think probably the most amazing thing to me about the whole trip is that there were 11 of us in a cabin and we had not one argument. We had not one fight. We didn't even have a disagreement. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is alive. <laughs> right? Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes on the way to church, you can have an argument, right? Drive 10 minutes to church, and you, you, you kind of wonder if your family knows the Lord. Anyone? Just mine? Okay, that's all right. I can, I can, I can deal with that. Um, but it was, it was just an unbelievably beautiful, beautiful trip. Um, we did all sorts of stuff. We swam in Lake Tahoe. We went rafting on the Truckee River. I did more paddling, and that was a little bit challenging to my shoulders after tribe. I was still feeling it in my shoulders. Um, and then my nephew was really useless in helping paddle, and I'm competitive. So I'm in the back trying to steer the ship, and every single time I paddled, we spun in a circle because my nephew was just like, literally just like, oh, we're good. We don't really need to go anywhere. It's rafting. Uncle Neil, we can just relax. And I'm like, no, we want to beat my father-in-law. And it didn't happen. Uh, we hit every single rock, and we still didn't fight. Um, amazing. We rode a, a gondola at, at North Star Resort. Su super fun. It was also super fun watching my kids decide if they loved it or they were terrified. It's also not called a gondola, which is a sandwich that you find at Avanti's in Normal. You know what I'm saying? Anybody, anybody like gondolas? It was funny to hear some people in my family calling the gondola a gondola. And I was hungry every time they did that. It has nothing to do with my sermon whatsoever. Uh, we spent time at Donner Lake and we hiked Donner Summit. It was just amazing. Um, as Corey said, we've been in the book of Hebrews for quite some time. And we're going to keep going in it. I think it's an awesome series that Jesus is better. We need to be reminded of that in our lives. Um, but, but what I wanted to do today, and I really believe this is the Holy Spirit's leading. Um, I talked to Tony about this earlier uh, this week. And I said, I, I think God is going, he's leading in a different way than being in Hebrews. And he kind of laughed and he said, that's normally my thing. So I've heard Tony kind of changes the, the direction a little bit uh, with sermons. And, and I said, is that okay? Are you, are you encouraged by this or offended by the fact that I'm co-opting your style? And he said, I, I, kinda, I think he likes it. He, kinda, he likes it. Okay. So um, I really sensed that the Holy Spirit uh, spoke a message to me the whole time I was in California. Um, our very first day, our very first full day in California I, I woke up and the weather was beautiful like it was every single day. No rain. They get six inches of rain a year there. 
So no rain. And I, I made a bunch of coffee, which is what I do every day. But I don't get to sit and look at the mountains. And I sat on the deck for a little bit, and I walked out into the mountains by myself for a while. And, and then I found out there were cougars. And I'm not talking about desperate housewives. I'm actually talking about real cougars that can eat you. Okay? I, I got a little bit nervous about that, so I prayed about that. And then I, in, in all genuineness, I just said, Lord, I'm asking you this week to soften my heart. I, I'm asking you to speak to me in a fresh way today. I'm asking you that throughout this whole trip that you'd give me a greater love for my family, for my church, for my friends. And I pray that you'd speak to me in nature the way that you always speak to Brandy in nature. Sometimes I get jealous of how God speaks to my wife. And I said, can you just show me some things? Um, and as with most experiences in my life, I didn't notice it in the moments. Um, but at, at all of a sudden, it all came to full fruition at the very end of the trip. And I honestly, this is the only way that I can think to describe it. But it was like I had a heart reformation. It was like God stripped the layer off of my heart. And he said, here, you asked for this. Were you ready? And, and, and I thought it was just for me. And, as, and I got home and I knew I knew this is not just for me, it's for, for us. Because most things that, that God does in our lives, it's not just for us, it's for us. It's not just for me, it's for we. God cares about our community, so if he shares something with one of us, it's probably not just so we can hold it tight and be happy that we got something. It's, it's to share it. It's to, it's to give what we've received. So that's what um, I'm going to talk about today. God answered my prayers and he gave me a new perspective on living out my faith in a, in a maybe freshly authentic way. And I'm, I'm going to explain more at the end about that. I, I'm not going to share. That's not the focal point of my message. Uh, because no matter what I experienced, if it does not have the authoritative backing of the word of God, it's absolutely useless, right? Amen? So, so we're going to go to scripture. We're going to look at the life of Jesus. We're going to look at a few encounters that he had with people. And, and, and we're going to... Uh, figure out how to ingest that so that we can live out the, the, the general message that I got from the Lord. And if you are people who have a hard time paying attention, remember a few weeks ago I preached and I said that I was terrible in high school at reading books. I was terrible at it. Like I just didn't do it because my attention, my attention span was too short. So I, I would skim Cliff's notes. I wouldn't even read Cliff's notes because they were too long and I got bored. I suspect there are a few people here who have a hard time listening to a whole sermon. Right? It's, it's okay to say that. Sometimes we go a little long, right? Some of you guys might have a hard time listening to a whole sermon. So if you get nothing else from this, I just want you to know that this sermon is about one word, and it's love. One word, love. So Jesus is love is the title of my sermon today. Uh, but, but to talk about love from a biblical perspective, we got to make sure that we're not taking a worldly uh, view of it. The world has a lot of views about love, and most of those don't even approximate uh, what, what, they don't come close to what God says love is according to the Bible. So we're going to look at what real love is. It's really, really important that we get this right because the world really, really gets it wrong. And, and most of the time, like we, we say all sorts of things are, are love. Yeah, we, we, we say all these different things uh, about love. And, and the truth is most of them kind of end up being about being in your feelings, right? And yes, that is a reference to Drake. And I do like that song. But that's not what love is. It's not about being in your feelings. Sometimes, sometimes with love we have feelings, but there are a lot of days that I wake up and I choose to love my family when I don't feel like doing anything but take care of myself. Anybody else? What honors God the most? I believe it's when we're faithful when we don't feel like being faithful, but we choose to love. 1 John 4, uh, verses 7 through 12, it says this about love. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The idea of love is not anything that we can afford to get wrong because Jesus said that it's the most important thing that we have to grasp in this life. Most important thing. How do we know that? Because when the the Jewish legal scholars one time, they always approached Jesus and tried to catch him. Like, like somehow they thought that they were going to fool him. And that shows a lot about their mindset. It shows a lot about the arrogance that they exhibited, that they thought that they could fool Jesus. But they did every single time. They were so impressed with their own smarts that they tried to capture him. And, and, and one time the, the scholar walked up and said, Jesus, so let, let me ask you a question. What's the most important commandment? And you know, Jesus always, he'd answer questions most of the time, but it was never in the way that they anticipated. Why? Because Jesus always gets to the heart behind the question. Usually, have you noticed this? When, I've noticed this in counseling. When I, when I sit down and I, 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 I work with people through issues, almost never the first thing that someone shares with me is the actual issue right? It's sort of like my, my chiropractor friend, Jeff, he says this. He goes, Neil, do you think, and I've heard other chiropractors say this, but I kind of like it. He said, Neil, do you think that the reason people have so much back pain and, and, and so many issues is because there's a shortage of Tylenol? And I was just like, oh, that's good. That applies to our lives too. And most of the time, the very first thing that someone shares is not really the issue. It's the issue underneath that very first thing people say. And you have to sort of mind for that, don't you? Well, well, that's, uh, that's what Jesus always did with people. So after this guy asked Jesus, so what's the most important commandment? So based already, he's kind of pigeonholing Jesus to say one thing. And this is what Jesus said. He started out, and then the guy probably felt pretty good about this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Then he throws a curveball, and he says, and the second is like it. So, so the guy asked him for one, and Jesus goes, oh no, but there's more. There's more. And I think it's one that's harder for us. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh man, wouldn't Christianity be easy if we didn't have to love people? If all we had to do is love this God that we can't see? I think a lot of us try to do that, don't we? A lot easier to do that than love the people next to us with skin on. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So not only did Jesus highlight the fact that our lives need to be characterized by love, but he made it clear that we're all going to be judged at the end of time on how we've done it with our lives because it's the proof of our faith. Now, now there's, let's be real clear about this. There's nothing that you can do to gain favor with God. That is, that is not for us. But after we receive the Spirit of God, the evidence of our transformation is how we are becoming more and more like Jesus, which is showing more and more love, right? So it's the proof of the transformation. It's proof that the Holy Spirit lives in us. It's proof that there's fruit. It's like root and then fruit. The Holy Spirit's the root. Fruit comes from the Spirit of God, right? So, so, so we're going to be judged on how we've done it. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to read the start because it's heavy and I think we need, it needs to sit with us if we're going to truly learn how to do this right. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, uh, let me give you a, you want to be on the right, okay? You really, really want to be on the right here. Then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And he explains he says, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in, pri- I was in prison and you came to visit me. Guys, we're basically describing deacons. <laughs> so congratulations, we have at least eight people that are going to heaven. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Have you ever noticed that people who are doing things to truly honor God because it's in their character, they don't really pay attention to all that they're doing? They're not saying, well, God, I'm going to really impress you with this. They just go out and do it because it's in them. They don't tell everyone what they're doing. They just go and serve because they are motivated by love. And that's what, that's what he's saying is going to happen. These people say, all of these people before him say, Lord, when did we see you and feed you? Or, 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 or when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? When did we see that you needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in, or, or, or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Every act of service that we do, every act of service that we do after we receive the Spirit of God, Jesus says, it's like you're doing it for me because you can never separate the love of God from the love of people. So check your Christianity today. How well are you doing in loving people because maybe that's the thing that God's saying, listen, you, you can't say you love me if you're not actively loving people. Are you showing up for the people that God has placed in your lives? And then he, he talks about all the ones on the left, and it's the exact opposite of what he said about the ones on the right. Because the ones on the left say the same thing. They're like, but, but Jesus... Uh, I don't understand. I, I didn't see you because I would have fed you. I would have visited you. I, I would have given you food. I would have given you something to drink. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. Those people that I placed in your life, all those people that had needs, you should have paid attention to them because in, in not paying attention to them, you showed that you don't love me. Because you can't love God without demonstrating love for your brother's and sisters, so guys, we have to get love right. This is something that, that has to be evident in our faith. Otherwise, it's not genuine. But we're people, and we are so tempted to put together a list of to-dos. It's easier. It's, it'd be so much easier if God just said, hey, we, there, there are two things I want you to do, and I'm going to tell you what time to do it, and I'm going to tell you what time to go to bed, and then what time to get up. We love to-do lists, but we're going to take the rest of our time today and we're going to look at the life of Jesus as the ultimate example of what love is. And we're going to look for ways to live out of that place of love organically in our lives. Not in some prepackaged, um, legalistic sort of way. That's not what God has for us. He calls us to be led by his spirit, not to be led by a list of rules. Amen? Okay, here's the first thought that I believe God has for us today as we ingest what love is, and it's this. Love is presence. Love is presence. We're told in Genesis chapter 1, right in the very beginning, that, that God was before everything else. There was, when there was no creation, there was God. And, and we see the, the first idea of the Trinity, which is Christian theology that believes in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and we can ascertain from Genesis chapter 1 that, that, that God exists in three persons in, in, in a perfect relationship. There's no jockeying for power. There's, there's no... Um, um, there's no trouble between them. There's no space. It is three persons in, in this one glorious God, and they have community together. And it's, it's this powerful evidence that, that, that God, was, God is in community, and he created us for community. And then in John chapter 1, I think it's interesting that Genesis chapter 1 in the Old Testament and then John chapter 1 to start, uh, start one of the Gospels in the New Testament, we learn that Jesus, who is the Word, he left the perfect condition of heaven for earth. Why would God leave, leave heaven? John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Here's why this is so important for us today. It's what differentiates Christianity from every other faith system. It's that the God of the Bible left the glories and the riches and the perfection of heaven to come to this place 
which is full of brokenness and sadness and sin because he came for you. That's what Christianity is all about. The God of heaven left heaven because he saw a greater treasure that was lost on earth, which is us. And he suffered, his, he suffered through life, a, a, a real human life, so that he could bring his treasure home, fully restored and whole, the way we were intended to be in the beginning. Every other faith system says this. You need to try to be good enough to get to God. And and Christianity says, no, there's nothing that you can do. God did it for you, and what you have to do is receive it. You just have to receive it. That's the difference, and that's a huge, huge difference. And this this applies to all of the relationships in our lives. There is no substitute for showing up in people's lives, is there? There's none. And I'm so proud that in our church community, people show up in each other's lives. I can look around here and I know stories of how you've shown up in each other's lives. I, I, I could give tons of stories of how you guys have shown up in, in, in our lives in the short time we've been a part of this community, but it, there is just evidence that it's God's desire to be in community and he wants his people to live that out. And if you wonder if that's really true, I want you to think for a second. Have you spent, uh, have you spent time with, with foster kids who have not had a parent be present in their lives? Do you know the pain that they have for that? We're made to, for people to be present and to speak into our lives. Uh, maybe you need to, to go to a, a Chinese orphanage and you need to see what happens when kids don't have physical touch. All the things that happen to children when they don't receive that hands-on care, that hands-on love, that proactive love. Maybe it's a little bit closer to home. Um, Maybe it's in your own kids. Maybe you're a workaholic and and you think that that even though you can't be with your kids as much as you'd like to be, that, hey, if I get them just a nice enough car in their 16th birthday, everything's going to be okay. And here's the thing about kids. When they're 16, they're pretty excited to get a a brand new car. But when they're 25 and they're in therapy because you weren't there, you'll see the importance of presence in our lives. We were made for it. And it's not just for kids. It's the absence of good relationships is felt throughout our lives, isn't it? We, we, we feel it uh, when we're little kids. We, we, uh, middle-aged couples that are empty nesters, boy, they know, oh, isn't that, that's an interesting age that I'm watching and, and people at that stage where all their kids are gone and all of a sudden, you guys, you're not sure what to do with each other because your lives have been so centered around your kids that you're not really sure what you have between you anymore because you haven't been present to each other. And then, uh, I can't tell you how many old folks I've visited in nursing homes and they're just wondering if maybe that day someone's going to come visit them from their family. And most of the time, they don't. I don't think it's any accident that the God who existed in perfect community would really be focusing on us to have good, loving relationships when he was the originator of the first functional, healthy relationship. Does that seem like a surprise to you? That he'd put such a high priority on relationships? It shouldn't. Because we are called to become like Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And and our goal in life is through the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we would start, we would look more and more like Jesus throughout our lives. Because Jesus is God and God created us in his image. He wants to restore us to factory original. He wants you to be the best version of you, which is the version that he created you to be. It's no accident that, that healthy relationships are, the, are, are a focal point of our faith. Here, here's a second thought today. Um, this isn't um, everyone's favorite, I bet. Uh, love is restorative confrontation. Ugh, confrontation. Love is restorative confrontation. I've noticed there are two main types of people in life. Uh, one type, uh, they're the people who will do anything to avoid confrontation. Raise your hand if you can admit that you will do anything to avoid confrontation. Come on, it's a lot of people, right? Right? Uh, you guys are super pleasant to be around. I'll just say that. 
People who avoid confrontation in a lot of ways are easy to be around. Now, there's a shadow side to that, is that you'll allow things to happen in your life and you won't confront it, and boy, you, you feel stuff inside and, and you're afraid that no one will love you if you say exactly what's going on inside because you know deep down that people aren't treating you right and you're afraid to say something about it. The other type is the exact opposite, which is sort of like life. Like, some of you guys live for confrontation. Raise your hand if you're kind of one of those people. Admit it. I just want to, I want you to admit it. Admit it. If you kind of, you're just like, I just kind of love that. Like it just sort of, it sort of feels good inside. Well, you need to repent for it feeling that good. Okay. I think maybe there's a third way and it's the Jesus way. And here's, there always is, right? It's like Jesus isn't a Republican or a Democrat. And you're like, are you sure? (laughs) It sure seems like, (laughs) watch yourself. (laughs) But it seems like he believes in all the things I do. Don't we say those kinds of things? We got to be careful. There's a third way, I believe, and, and it's this restorative, it's this redemptive sort of confrontation. Here's how you know if you're there. Have you, ever, have you ever just known that you need to go have a conversation with someone? You call it a conversation, but it's actually confrontation because you're actually confronting something that they're doing that you know they need to change because, not because you, you, you want to hurt them, not, not because you want them to grovel and beg for your forgiveness, but because you know that they are not living the kind of life that is honoring to God, it's good for them or their family, and inside, you are like all of your insides feel like they're vibrating, like you're nervous. You don't want to do it, but you know that you are driven by love to go do it, to have that conversation. That's the third way of Jesus. In John chapter 5, we're told about this man, and he's described as, as, as being an invalid for 38 years. And he basically just had to wait and have people bring stuff to him. And, and he, he, you know, you, you can kind of imagine, like, he got really used to this kind of life and, and um, had to rely on people. And, and then Jesus came on the scene and he asked the man a question. And the question was, do you want to get well? Uh, most of us would say, uh, Jesus? <laughs> Does anyone want to be an invalid for 38 years? I mean, none of us would automatically say yes to that, but let's think about that for a second. Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? Here's the suggestion behind it. We get used to being less than healthy, and we operate from that place. We get used to being on the receiving end of people who are willing to give to us because they have big hearts but we're not always willing to change because we're afraid that, that that'll dry up then. I think we get used to being sick and we get used to the dysfunction that ends up feeling functional to us because that's all we know anymore. Not all of us really want to be well. Sometimes we get complacent and we get very comfortable living in the dark. Jesus doesn't pull punches, does he? (laughs) This is my thought. I'm picturing Jesus looking at this guy, and everyone else is kind of looking at Jesus, probably like, man, Jesus, are you crazy? Like, of course he wants to be well. And I think Jesus would say, this was kind of his internal dialogue, I believe. Just my thoughts. I know what it looks like you need, but do you really want it? Because if I heal you, then you're going to have new responsibilities, If I heal you, you're not going to get to sit here all day long any longer. You're now going to have to pour out to others who are also in need so that you can help them because there's nothing holy about staying in dysfunction or in infirmity. Some of us, I think, act like it's sort of safer and better to just stay back and and receive from people that are healthy. But God does not want us to stay where we are. He wants us to move forward. He wants us to be equipped so that then we can go out and equip others. He wants every single person in this room to take a fresh step today. He wants you to look at someone who's farther along on the spiritual journey than you and and receive from them so that you can pull other people up. It's a hand up, it's not a hand out. 
Our faith is meant to be poured out into other people. And if we're not doing that, we're missing the point. So after a little more conversation, and this, they, they kind of went back and forth a little bit, Jesus says something famous. He says, pick up your mat and walk. The man did for the first time in 38 years. And then he goes away. Jesus slips away into the crowd. And a little bit later, Jesus catches up with this guy at the temple. And he says something that I, that I wish he didn't say because it has ramifications for us. And he warned the man. And he said, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Ugh. I like the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus that just shows a lot of mercy all the time. And I like the one that just says, hey, it's okay, whatever feels good, do it. That's not that one. He basically goes, uh, I healed you. But if you don't live in a new way, it might happen again. Guys, that's not my favorite version of Jesus. I like the stories where he just <laughs> pours out grace, but we can never separate grace and mercy from truth because it's not really gracious and it's not really merciful if it doesn't also have truth. He expects us to act differently after we receive his spirit and his healing. Here's what I'm willing to guess today. There are people in your lives today. You know that they are in destructive patterns. And you are not confronting them. And in your mind, you're doing that, um, you're kind of cloaking that with grace. You're saying, oh, it's grace. I mean, who am I to judge? Maybe you're saying, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to be judgmental. Whatever that means these days. I kind of feel like you can't say really anything without someone saying that you're judgy. It's, it's a scary place when we can't say what's true. But the truth is, if there's someone in your life that is exhibiting these destructive patterns, if there's someone in your life that you see is literally headed for a moral cliff, is it loving for you not to share with them the truth? I believe it's nothing more than passive hatred because you love yourself and, and how you feel more than you love the character and the identity of that person in front of you. In our love, we must be willing to have restorative confrontation. Here's our third point today. Love is calling people up. Love is calling people up. Guys, it is so easy in our social media-driven culture to call people out. Right? We kind of like that too. Let's be honest. We, we, there, there is part of us that when we see other people screw up, that we're, we're so glad in some ways because then people won't see our screw-ups. Right? I've, I've felt that way before. I've definitely felt self-righteous before when, when I look at other people and how they screw up. And the reality is we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we shouldn't be calling people out nearly as much as we should be calling people up. It takes humility and grace to see potential and to point it out in another person. Sometimes I'll be riding bikes with my girls. Two of them are sitting right here, so they're probably really nervous that I'm going to talk about them. I promise I won't say anything embarrassing to me. <laughs> Sometimes we'll be riding bikes together, and usually they, they think they can go a little farther than what they can go, or they start to get a little bit tired. And their legs are little. It's fair. I get it. And, and I, I've got a couple choices. I, I, I can either look at them and say, well, you shouldn't be tired by now. Why do you need a drink of water? I don't need a drink of water. I can either say something that is completely demoralizing to them where they won't want to hang out with me and they're never going to want to ride bikes again, or I can look at them and tell them, when I was your age, Papa Tom made me ride farther and you can do it too because you're athletic, you have what it takes, you've got this, and I'll be with you the whole way. And then guess what? They get a second wind 
and a third wind, and, and they're empowered. And then next time, they'll go farther. Every single time, people will meet us in a place when we call them up. People, there are people all over here today that are waiting for someone to see potential in themselves that they don't see on their own. And, and, and what if, what if we looked around and we called people up and we, we asked God for, for, to, to show his view, his eyes for every single person that we meet? And what if we were willing to say the potential that we see in them? What a beautiful church we'd have if we did that on a consistent basis. I saw um, a quote on social media, a, rare, a rarely encouraging one, actually, so I'm going to share it. Um, this week, uh, Robbie Dawkins uh, said something, and I, and I just loved it. Um, he said something like, um, dig for gold in the people that you meet instead of digging for dirt. I love that. Because it's really, really easy to see dirt and then somehow feel self-righteous. But when we see the gold in another person, the whole community is going to benefit from it. Isn't that powerful? Hmm. I love it. I just love it. Matthew chapter 16, uh, the apostle Peter, um, he he made uh, his declaration of faith in Jesus and maybe you can remember back to the time when you made your, your profession of faith. You know, we just, we had baptisms recently and, and it's always just a beautiful thing to see. And, and the thing that I always worry about for people who are baptized is the next week when they still sin, they're going to go, did it take? It took. Because Jesus can hold you tighter than you can hold him. Okay, remember that. You're still going to mess up. Still going to mess up. You'll, you'll mess up until you die. You're going to get better, but you're going to mess up. The apostle Peter made a declaration of faith in Jesus. And Jesus, at that point then, he changed his name from Simon to Cephas, which is rock. And he said that he would build the church on that rock. <laughs> Wait a second. This is the same guy who made a whole lot of impetuous, arrogant mistakes. So if that's you today... And you feel like God might have a call on your life, but you keep screwing it up. Know that God sees the end product. He sees the end product. And it's not just, uh, maybe you're like, well, I know it's okay to screw up before I make my profession of faith, but is it okay after? Well, Peter screwed up immediately after. Immediately. Because right after he made his profession of faith in Jesus as Lord, the very next thing that we learn about Peter is that he rebuked Jesus. Oh man, that's messed up. He rebuked him. Jesus told him what was going to happen. He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried and then I'll be raised to new life in three days. And, Jesus is like, and, and Peter's like, I'm not going to let you die. Jesus thought, that's ridiculous. Now stop saying things like that. I know it's been a hard week. But don't say things like you're going to die. And what did Jesus then call his rock? Called him Satan. <laughs> Said, Satan, get behind me. Oh, that's a different name than the rock. <laughs> Basically, he's saying, accuser, get behind me. Peter screwed up a lot. A whole lot. Um, he, he, he was the one who said, if all of the other disciples... Leave you. I won't. Jesus goes, well, not only will you do it, you'll do it three times. And he did. Peter was the one that, of course, when Jesus was walking on water, Peter saw it and he was so enamored by it. He goes, hey, Jesus, call me out on the water. I want to do that too. And I think there's part of Jesus that was like, this is so awesome that he's this crazy guy. So what happens? He takes like three steps, literally takes his eyes off of Jesus, looks at the storm, sinks. He had all these fails, all these failures. He just did it over and over and over again. But, but Jesus didn't hold his dirt against him. As a matter of fact, I don't believe Jesus saw his dirt at all. Jesus saw the gold in his rock. What if we did that with all the people in our lives? Even the ones who hurt us regularly. What if we said, Lord, this person keeps throwing all their dirt on me. Can you show me what the gold is in them so that I can help call them up? What if we did that? It's kindness 
that leads us to repentance. It's not fear. It's a holy calling for us to, to, to walk the steps with the Holy Spirit to become like Jesus in every way. What if we took this seriously about calling people up to their God-given potential? I think we'd change lives. Here's our final point today. Love is showing people the way home. Love is showing people the way home. How many of you guys, when you, when you get in your car, you're so used to GPS now, you could go to Walgreens and you still type in Walgreens? Like, we're so used to, to the, the voice telling us where to turn. We're, we're so used to it. It's like, how many of you guys really remember phone numbers anymore? Like, ridiculous, right? I know all of my childhood home phone numbers, but it was before cell phones. That's why. No one remembers phone numbers anymore. I've, I've asked people what their phone number is, and they're like, I'm going to have to look in my phone. And I'm like, technology, man, that's, that's, that's dumb phones, not smartphones. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. We don't know anything anymore. All you have to do is, is watch the technology break at McDonald's and watch someone struggle to give you change. And you're just like, oh, Lord, I believe the children aren't our future. That's how I feel like singing sometimes. Like, Lord. Again, this has nothing to do with my sermon. <laughs> Love is showing, the, showing people the way home. Some people would say that it's intolerant to suggest that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Have you heard that? Well, I just accept everyone. I would say that it's intolerable for us to believe what we do about Jesus and not share the whole truth about what we believe about Jesus. Jesus was preparing his followers for his death in John chapter 14. And uh, he was explaining that he was going to go away and he's talking about this place, that, that this, this, this heaven that they, they really had no way to, to understand that he was preparing a place for them in the Father's house. And he said something that sounded so strange to them and, and probably even more so to us today. Uh, you know the place where I'm going. And it's like, listen, I have a hard time getting out of parking lots now without a GPS, Jesus. How on earth can I know where you're going when I haven't been there? And then Jesus and his oddly reassuring way he spoke he spoke to him and he said I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me every single day guys we encounter the lost and the broken people who have no idea what's up what the future looks like they're wrapped up, as Carmen said, in all the bad news of our world. It's so heavy. It's so heavy. But we have an enduring hope. We have the most loving hope that there is, the, the, the eternal hope. We're not bound by what Fox and CNN and the BBC tell us because we go beyond it. It's not that we're not in it, but we are not bound by it. So we don't have to get so lost in it. Because we're not lost, because we know the one who is called the way. And no matter how bad it gets here, the one who calls himself the way is going to see us home. So how can we claim to love people? How can we claim to know what love is biblically if we are not actively saying, Lord, show me who needs to hear about how to get home and give me the courage to tell them. We've got to tell everybody the way to get home. And I promise you, he'll work in all sorts of ways. Not everybody, not everybody is Dana and Carmen. Okay? But everybody is called to be willing to tell. Every single one of us. What if we did that? 
What if every day that we went to the gas station, every day that we went to our schools, every day that we went to work, we said, Lord, show me someone who needs hope today. Show me someone who's lost. They might not look lost. They might not say they're lost, but, but show me someone and create that, that Holy Spirit-inspired moment that I can speak into their hearts the very words that you have for them to set them free. God, give me that opportunity. Do you think he'd do it? He's told us to do it. He's told us to, to, to tell everyone about him and, and disciple people from every nation. Like, of course, this is the heart of God. He wants to answer this prayer. What if we prayed it? We'd be living out what love is. I'm going to ask the band to, to come on up as we get ready to close. Remember how I told you... Um, about our first day of the trip, how I, I prayed and I asked God to soften my heart and show me how to love people more and help me to encounter him in nature. Um, on our last night in the cabin, um, Brandy did what Brandy always does. She just creates moments. So, so good at that. Most of us probably wouldn't have just sat down and talked about how the week went and what our, hi- what our highlights of the week were and And honestly, some of us looked a little bit annoyed that she made us sit down and do it at first. But we sat down, we kind of got close in this one room in the cabin. And one by one, we shared our experiences. And some were funny. They started out funnier. And then all of a sudden, I felt it when it kind of turned sweet. And I'm like, oh, wow, we're going to have feelings. (laughs) Is this okay, God? (laughs) I don't know. Felt a little weird. They got sweeter and sweeter, and then there were some tears. You know, we're from all over the country, and we all came together for a week, and it was just, a, it was a sweet time. Then we prayed together, and the whole circle, our whole family prayed. And I remember in, in one moment, I just knew, I just knew what God wanted me to do. And it's not a role that I've played in their lives before, but I knew I was supposed to then. looked at my nephews they're almost 18 16 and 13 John's going to be a senior in high school Simon's going to be a junior Jackie's going to be in 8th grade and I just knew in this moment in 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 that place that God wanted me to tell them what I saw in them and I got to look at my nephews and I said You are such good young men. You love the Lord. And I can't believe how much you're still willing to be such good cousins to these girls that are so much younger than you. You're kind, you're patient, you're gentle. You pay attention to them. And I know that the Lord is going to develop that and help you to become great men who love people just that way. Keep going on that path. And I looked at my niece and I said, Jackie, I need to tell you what I see in you. And she got a little bit nervous. I've never done this before. And I said, you are always so helpful. You're the first one to say yes to anyone who has a need. You're going to jump in and help in the kitchen. You'll help with anything. You're just willing to do it. And I just love that about you. And I can't wait to see what God continues to do in you. And my father-in-law prayed, and he's a pastor too. But he just prayed in a softer way than I've ever heard with an eye towards eternity. And I just remember thinking, this, oh my gosh, my heart was like exploding. I prayed for a soft heart at the beginning of the week, and at this point, it was like so tenderized, I felt like you could see it. And I was just like, I just love this moment. I just love that. And I just thought, this is, this is what heaven on earth looks like this week. We're not picking on each other. We're not disagreeing. We're not focused on little things. We're focused on calling each other up and, and, and living out love in a powerful way. And so, so here's what I want to do today. And I don't want it to be weird unless you're weird. Okay? Here's what I want you to do. Here's my challenge to you today. I believe that there is someone that God has put on your heart, even as I'm speaking. 
you know this person and there's something that you know you need to speak to them about what you see in them and you haven't done it yet because it feels weird, you're afraid they're not going to receive it, you haven't had that kind of vulnerable relationship before, I think God is calling you to a next step of vulnerability because that's what love looks like. It looks like risking yourself, risking your feelings. Maybe they won't reciprocate, but what they do with it is not on you. It's fully on them. Before the end of today, it's a family member that lives out of state. Maybe, maybe it's someone right here that you know before they walk out to their car, you just know that you need to say something that you see in them that maybe they don't see yet and just see what God might do in this community. That's the challenge. And here's the thing, here's the other thing that I know. It wouldn't be loving of me. I don't know, I don't know everybody's spiritual condition here. It wouldn't be loving of me if I didn't tell you the way home. The Bible makes it very clear there is one way and it's his way. We have to conform to his way. He's not gonna make a special way for us, but it's the same way. Acts 2.38 tells us, the Apostle Peter, he, he said to a crowd of Jews who were, who were convicted by the Holy Spirit, and all that means is it's not a shame, it's a, you sense that God's doing something, so how do you respond? And, and Peter said the same thing that's now carried for, for over 2,000 years. The same thing for them as it is for us, and it's the same, it's the same way to be saved that, that's always been. And it's repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's how you know if the Holy Spirit is living in you. Because you love. That's what love is. When we live out this, this life of faith empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can we just stand and pray? We're gonna close with worship. Just give thanks. Father, you are so good to us. You're so loving. You're so kind. God, I thank you for the week you gave me. You did every single thing I asked in, in rapid form. Father, I pray for answered prayers here this week. I pray that, that, that every single person here would get the very thing that they need from you, even if they don't know that they need that from you. And I pray for softened hearts and, and hearts that are sensitive to, to the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and just, just wash over people in a fresh way. You convict us of sin. Help us to, to receive you. Help us to confess. Help us to become more like you, God. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that when you confront us, it's not to, to, to shame us, but it's to conform us to the image of your son. God, thank you for showing us what love is. And it's in the name of the one who loved, who is love, that we pray, Jesus. Amen.